Hi guys. <laughs> what an absolute privilege to have the youth in the room. It's so nice to have you with us. And this talk is not just for the adults, it's totally for you guys. Um, yeah, just wanted to start with that. So a couple of months ago, I think it was, Pete can confirm or deny this, he had a word from God that was, I will move through a move of prayer. Is that correct? It's correct for you. <laughs> so that's, that's what I've been sort of um, mulling over and thinking about as I've come to do this talk today. And if I'm really honest, guys, I feel so nervous. <laughs> I feel so nervous to um, carry this word because I feel like it is so specific for this church. And as I sat with this um, phrase, I just felt like God said, I just want you to pray. I don't want you to write a talk. I just want you to pray. And I was just reminded of when I was your guys' age and I would listen, um, this is quite embarrassing, but like to a CD player with headphones. What were they called? CD-ROMs. Walkman, that's it. <laughs> with a CD-ROM. With, um, with that delirious song in my head of like open up the doors, let the music play. And I would lie in bed and I would feel my heart burning inside of me saying, God, this is all I want. This is like the deepest longing of my heart is to see you move. And that's for you guys as well. You carry that in your schools and with your friends. And I would just encourage you to just lean into that as much as you can. And I was then reminded of when I was about 13 and I um, organized my first 24 hours of prayer. And a grand total of two people <laughs> came. At that tender age, I didn't actually realize that it was depth rather than numbers. So I was deeply disappointed. But I think even that angst sort of like grew something in me. And amazingly, over my life so far, I have been witness to a few moves of God. I've... Um, been to Hernhut in Germany, where the Moravians did a hundred um, years of unceasing prayer. I've been to LA, where the Azusa Street Revival happened, and gathered with a hundred thousand people to pray that God would come in power in America. I've been to Bethel, where me and my family saw a man get out of a wheelchair and start walking, just entering the building. We have probably all in this room got stories of how we've seen God move. And that's what we want here, isn't it? In this time, in this place, that is what we want here. And thank you, John T and the team, for like teeing me up <laughs> for this talk. Um, and basically, as I've pondered it more and more, I just felt this song again and again come to mind. I've got a bit of a sore throat, but I'm going <laughs> to go for it. And it goes, oh, I want Jesus. Oh, I want him. Oh, I want Jesus. Take this world, but give me him. And I just wanted to form a talk around that. No. <laughs> That is not why I did it, guys. <laughs> um, but I just felt like I wanted to frame a talk around that longing. Um, I feel like if you sort of are on Instagram at all or have watched anything that's happening in the church over the last five years, you can, might have seen that there's a bit of a shaking. 
and a shifting going on. And God is like purifying us as a bride. And even in this church, I feel like, I don't know about you, you can sense that. There's like a hunger for God that's growing. And I feel him drawing us as a church into this time where prayer is the center of everything we do. To mission, to evangelism, to family life, to work, to worship. And why? What does prayer signify? Prayer signifies dependence, communion, surrender, a yielded will to God, and the complete acknowledgement that he's got it and we don't. So here at the start of 2024 at St. Basil's, we're going to just hold this word, I will move through a move of prayer. And I want to try and move as quickly as I can through two questions that I wanted to ask around this. What does prayer do in us? And what does prayer do through us? So starting with the first one. What does prayer do in us? This is around um, presence and formation. So it's almost our vertical relationship with God. So first one is communion draws us into a life of intimacy. Before anything else we do, we were designed and created to minister to God. We're going to be doing it for all of eternity. The greatest thing we have to offer the world is our enjoyment of God. It's the overflow of our hearts to God. Prayer is our lists and longings, our chats through the day, our SOS prayers. It's intercession, it's deliverance. It's just looking at something beautiful and saying, God, I love you. It's all of those things. It's learning to constantly be in this sort of communion, this conversation with God. And I don't know about you, but it's like a struggle, isn't it, to nurture that space. And I think one of the main reasons is it's often easier to work for God (laughs) rather than to be with him. When we work for him, we get to hide part of ourselves away, the vulnerable bits that we don't really want him to see, that we want him to leave untouched. But when we commune with him, when we're in this relationship with him, everything is on show to God. It's the day-to-day communion that we learn from the life of Jesus. He lived in this posture of complete communion with God. To do what he had came to do on earth, he had to prioritise that relationship. For his first 30 years of life, we hear nothing much about him other than he lived a fairly quiet life. He was a carpenter, perfecting his craft. In Luke, it says he increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. By the time he starts his active ministry, he's created and learned a lifestyle where he would just go off on his own. The disciples probably got quite irritated with him. He would just go off on his own. They wouldn't know where he'd gone. He was accountable to God and he would strengthen himself in God in that space. Every introvert's dream. Jesus' public life of ministry was 100% connected to his private life of prayer. His disciples would have seen deliverances, healings, blind eyes open, people just being set free by his presence. They would have seen sermons and parables, but they asked him one thing, teach us how to pray. Because they saw that connection and his offering never became his identity In that intimacy we find with God, 
it stops us from forming our identity around how God uses us and what we have to offer to the world. So the first point is this devotion point, our devotion to God and how we strengthen that. Our impact as a church in this region isn't going to be the quality of our outreach, our missional structures, the excellence of our worship team, although they're very excellent, or even the next church building that we land in. Our impact on the world around us is based on the revelation we receive about who Jesus is, which only comes through his presence and prayer. Second thing prayer does in us is create a surrendered and yielded will. By the time Jesus came to what we might call the pinnacle of his ministry, where everything was about to be tested, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he, he faced the most intense pain. Father, take this cup of suffering from me, but not my will, your will. And we see this all over scripture, people saying to God, this is too much for me. Take it from me. And we question God's sovereignty. Prayer is that space for wrestling it out with God. In that intimate space, we get to give God our pain, our anger, our fears, our rage. It's a space where we are welcome to be... To be Meg's laughing at me. She knows I do get a bit of rage. (laughs) Our brokenness and human frailty. There's not always answers for us there, but his peace is always there. And when we cry out in that space, something happens. It's like a well is dug within us. And that becomes a space where we meet with God. And as I was writing this talk, I just felt like this might be a word for one of you guys at the front or some, someone in here maybe. I was just reminded of Psalm 84 and it talks about a place called the Valley of Baca. And the Baca means of weeping, the Valley of Weeping. And it says, as they go through the Valley of Weeping, they make it places of springs. The early rain covers it with pools. And I felt him say that he will turn our valleys of weeping into places of springs. And when that happens, it's not just us that drink from it, it's others too. And so that, that is the prayer, isn't it? That God transforms our pain and that through it we are yielded to him. And that's what Jesus did. He didn't go past his pain. He went through his pain on the cross. And he was able to do that because he'd spent 30 years getting to know his father and hearing his will for his life. As we pray, our center of gravity shifts away from self to God and to others. So those are the two things that I wanted to say about what God does in us as we pray. And at this point, if you say, you know what, I don't even have those two, so you know, there's not much luck for us moving past this point. I just want to say, like, welcome to the family. (laughs) This is, like, all of our journey. We all experience pain. We all experience doubt and that struggle with God. And I would love, if you're in that place and you say, I don't know that intimacy with God, let's pray later and let him do the work rather than us having to feel like we have to do the work. So, 
what does prayer do through us? Well, when we live in this sort of vertical proximity to God, naturally, inevitably, proximity to others also forms because God's greatest priority is others. It's us, is his children. Many of you will know that about six months ago, I um, took the role of local impact pastor here at St. Basil's. And I've had to um, really try and get my head around that phrase. I accidentally keep saying low impact pastor, which is not what I uh, think I'm here for. Um, (laughs) But as I have kept praying like, God, um, you know, what do you want me to do in this role? All I've heard again and again is mission must come out of intercession. Intercession is the beating heart of mission. And I just feel like in our going, we have to learn the heartbeat of God for, the, for this area. So the first thing is living lives of intercession. So intercession means to intervene or mediate between two equal parties as the equal friend of both. So it's almost, put it really simply, it's as if I've got one person over here, one person over here, and I'm holding hands with both and I'm pulling them together. And when we look through the Bible, it's clear that there's a correlation between prayer and justice on the earth. God has always looked to partner with people in order to establish his kingdom on earth. I love the faithful prayers of the saints, the day-to-day diligent prayers. And my, my parents are amazing at this. They pray for my sister and I three times a day. <laughs> if there's like any issues in the family and we text, we know they're going to be like fasting and praying and they're incredible. And uh, that's one type of prayer, the sort of diligent day-to-day prayers. Uh, there's another type of prayer that I really learned from them. I was born in Birmingham in a, in a place called Rotten Park. <laughs> it, was, um, it was a red light district. And if you looked out of my bedroom window, my view was a brewery. A brewery. And um, the school I went to, lots of people were excluded and expelled. So it was really transitory. And I think for my parents, having two young daughters in that space must have been quite a scary thing. But they knew that they were called there. So I would hear them um, praying over us at night. They went on prayer walks, they prayed with neighbours, and I would hear them really early in the morning go downstairs to pray every day. They chose proximity to the people they were called to, but also in the way that they prayed. Let's give intercession a bit of a biblical context before we move on. In the Old Testament, we see intercession looks like um, God sending prophets they would try to achieve this sort of reconciliation between God and man. When we read of the evil in the Old Testament, we see God's heart hurting for humanity. He would pursue his family and then often out of fear, they'd turn to the sort of familiar idols in the land and God would send someone to sort of pull them back, but then they would become afraid or something would happen again and they would turn away from God again and he would keep sending prophets. It says in Ezekiel 22:30, I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me. God's looking for the faithful all the time to mediate and to reconcile. In Isaiah 59:16, it says, He saw that there was no one, he was appalled, that there was no one to intervene, so his own arm achieved for him 
and his own righteousness sustained him. And that's when we see Jesus, the son of God, break in as the intercessor, the one to stand in the gap. Jesus Christ, who created the world, chose to descend, to first of all become a man, to second of all become a suffering servant, to live alongside us. Says in John 1, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one of a kind glory, like father, like son, generous from inside and out, true from start to finish. And the strange mystery in all of this is that we are called to do the same. We are called to be like Jesus and stand in the gap to represent a broken world to God and represent a loving God to the world. Pete Gregg puts it this way. We inhabit the liminal space between heaven and earth, creator and creation, glory and dirt. Belonging to both, we are unable or unwilling to take sides, but long for them both to be reconciled. So a difficult question we have to ask ourselves, are we willing, as Jesus did, to become so acquainted with the pain of others to reconcile them to God? To feel their pain, to not shy away from it, or to be repulsed by it, or to say, actually, that's not really the people group I was called to, but to ask the Father for his heart for them. The other day when I was um, working at Exeter Library, where I was writing this talk, I, um, I saw this man who's always there when I go. And um, he's quite quiet and he sits reading his newspaper. And um, I went to the loo and he had just come out of the loo and I went in and it really smelled. It really smelled like urine, and it was a really overwhelming smell. And, you know, I've smelled worse smells, <laughs> but it was quite overwhelming. And I went to the loo, I came out, and I was like, oh, flip, I really smell. <laughs> I smell like urine. <laughs> and I was just about to go and pick my kids up from Dunsford, which is quite a different demographic. And uh, I was just, like, really aware of the fact that I smelled like urine. And I always felt like God's smile over me of, like, Oh, you know, this is what we're talking about here. Like, are we going to get close enough to smell? <laughs> and like a genuine question, are we going to get that close? Because loving the world through co-partnership with his children is one of the primary ways God show, has shown us throughout all of history and humanity that he wants to get involved in the intricacies of humanity. Corey Russell, who's teaching on prayer, is like absolutely amazing. I would seriously check him out if this stuff is your stuff. He says, intercessors are the manifestation of God's willingness, not ours. So the second part and the last part, because I would love to spend some proper time praying, is that when we pray, God gives us authority where you have been called, there you will have authority. Last year, I was praying in the prayer cabin and I um, was just like looking out over the land and I was saying, God, you know, like delirious songs, <laughs> move in this land, like heal our land, like bring us to you, God. 
And I just kept hearing this word in my head, jurisdiction. And I have no idea what that means. So I looked it up. And it means to have a legal right over something. The legal authority given to a legal entity to enact justice. And he said to me, now pray like you have authority. And here's what he was saying. When we commune with him, when we yield to him, when we ask for his heart for humanity, he sends us and he positions us and he gives us authority. And we receive authority over that sphere that we are called to because we have his heart for it, not ours. We have been commissioned to bring God's rulership to earth. And that applies to all of us. That applies to you guys down here, wherever we are, whatever we're called to, whoever we are positioned around. You know, we never graduate from those immediate prayers of like, God, help me with this, or would you please do this? He teaches us, doesn't he? Um, to pray, give us today our daily bread. But he also teaches us to pray, prayers of declaration. God, your kingdom come. God, your will be done. Carl um, Bart writes that when we intercede, we are set at God's side and lifted up to him, to the place where decisions are made in the affairs of his government. That just like astounds me. What kind of God would give us authority to almost sit in a position of government with him. I think we so often forget that as the church, that we're given that authority. He wants to have the confidence that we sit and reign above it all, that we get to partake in imagining with him what him moving in this region looks like. Pete Gregg, again, on knowing the sort of authority in prayer, says, the King of Kings requests your presence at the very seat of government. It is an unspeakable honour, yet we are often too busy, too disbelieving, or too insecure to accept the greatest invitation of our lives. So I wonder today, in this moment, is there an area of your life that you've sort of shied away from? in fear or maybe just because you think how could I change that situation where have you just accepted sort of the situation around you we're here together in this region at this time to establish his kingdom it's not just going to be through our doing it's through our relationship and revelation of who God is and our praying. So as we end, I wonder, where has he called you? And therefore, where has he given you authority? Who has he called you to be in proximity with? And hear me, I'm not talking about this like grand calling over your life. Or this thing that you like long for in the future. I'm asking like right now in your class, in the school, if you work in a shop or in an office. Or where do you live? In St. Thomas, in Tedburn, in Taunton, in Ede. If you're there, he's given you authority and you have access to his heart 
for those people in this place. You might have seen on um, WhatsApp, but as a church, we're going to be gathering for 24 hours of prayer um, in February because this is something we really want to go after as a church. We want to like worship and pray and do the vo- a vertical like devotion to God. And through the prayer, God sends us and commissions us to go. And I just really feel like that's what God wants to do this morning. He wants to recommission us to go for the areas that feel fearful in our lives. He wants to give us a new word and send us. Going back home, that might look like just like your kids are driving you nuts. <laughs> or maybe like your marriage is really struggling or you're finding something difficult in your job. Or it might be that you are really asking God about a bigger vision for this area. But I feel like God just wants to call us again today and equip us. So I've skipped through those pretty quickly, but these are the things that I felt like God wanted to distill in us and teach us and help us grow in as a church. The devotion and communion with God, a surrendered and yielded will living lives of intercession and being sent with authority. So I wondered if you'd be up for it, if we could all just stand together. And as we stand, we're just going to say to God, here we are, God. (laughs) Here we are as a church. And we want you to recommission us At the start of 2024, in January, whatever it looks like, God, we're here. So, Holy Spirit, we just invite you now. We invite you to come and fill us from the youngest to the oldest in this room. No one exempt. All of us in. And we say to you, God, here I am, send me. In my pain, in my anxiety, in my fear, whatever place I find myself in, I want to be yours and I want you to send me. Would you recommission us as a church, God, to move into the places where you're calling us? And where for some of us, um, we might have experienced almost like a break in that intimacy with God. Or you might say, you know, I've never had that and I would love that. We would love to pray for you this morning. Or maybe it's that you have been doing this work and you're exhausted. You feel burnt out and you need God to like send you and recommission you this morning. And we want to pray for you. Or maybe it's that as we've, as I've been talking, something's like burning in you and you're like, you know what, I, I want to learn how to like pray with you, God, to have authority to pray over this land. Then we want to pray for you. Basically, if you felt the Holy Spirit this morning, we want to pray for you. Um, maybe, John T, if you're up for it, you could just come start doing your thing. Um, and Holy Spirit, we just invite you.